0: Ruth, chapter one. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name Naomi, and the two names of the two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They are Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her own two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Oprah, and one the the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Naelon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to give you, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Maybe you've heard the expression that God has plans for our lives, we have plans for our lives, and our plans don't matter. Now, I think that's a bit of an overstatement. Maybe you could say instead that God has plans for our lives, we have plans for our lives, and God's plans take priority. And it seems to be obvious, so obvious that it doesn't doesn't need saying. But I don't think that's really how we live. In the mid-1800s, a Frenchman by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville came to visit the U.S. Any of you who are sociologists will know of him. But this was before sociology even began. He was basically a sociologist before sociology was an academic discipline. And as de Tocqueville came to see what the American experiment was like and compare it to his French, he comes from France, he was comparing the American experiment with France. And he covered a whole variety of issues in our culture from the outside perspective, including our politics, but including our religion. And he found something, to his experience, unique about Americans. Two features unique about American religion. Number one is, really the truth value didn't matter so much to him, or to uh, to Americans in his era. As he looked at Americans, it wasn't so much as, is God the real God? It's more the pragmatic value. What does this God offer us that attracted Americans? And the other feature that he saw in American religion, American Christianity, was that what Americans were looking for from God was not heaven at the end of life. It wasn't the future pragmatism. It was the present pragmatism. What does this God give us now? Now, if you've come to faith, I don't know what the motivating factors were in your life. I know some people come to faith in order to avoid hell or get into heaven. It wasn't that for me at all. For me, it was coming to faith to find some kind of sensibility to the universe, some kind of meaning in life, something that would give, actually, a sense of purpose to my life. So you can see I mean, that was 150 years after de Tocqueville, but it's still an American trait, where we're looking for the, what benefit do we gain from God in this life? And it surprised him. So we can say, theoretically, with our minds, that God has plans, and we have plans, and the first thing we have to learn is that our plans don't matter, because God's plans preempt. But that's probably not how we live. Oh, it's probably not how we pray. Or the balance of our prayers? Do we pray, is, is the balance of our prayers, the main emphasis of our prayers, the m- most time we spend in our prayers, is, is our prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are your prayers kind of like my prayers? For my job and for my kids and for their education and for our financial future? You know, God has plans and, and we have plans and whose plans really matter? Uh, This is not, also, this is not how we read the Bible. Not only is it not how we run our lives, it's typically not how we read our Bibles. Now I mentioned before, I learned Bible application. How does a scripture apply to our lives? I learned the acronym SPACE. SPACE. Sins to confess, promises to claim, actions to avoid, commands to obey, and example to follow. So when we read the Bible and we want the Bible to apply to our lives, uh, uh, see, when we read the Bible, what's our goal? We want the Bible to apply to our lives. Uh, the, the Bible exists to speak to us, not so much to talk about God. Or another example of where our plans take priorities over God's plans. There is a Famous preacher in New York City. Most of you will know the name. I'll just move on with the point. He's famous as a Bible preacher. And yet his sermons are available online. And the sermon that got the most hits online and the sermon that sold the best is his sermon series about, not the Bible, but about marriage. And most of the people in his church are single. And its sermon series was so successful that he turned it into a book about marriage. So, I mean, and that's not at all a a criticism of the the pastor. It's just a reflection of why do we come to God? And why do we come to Scripture? Is it for God's purposes and plan? Or is it for our purposes and plan? Or, or, Or what's the balance? Obviously, some of each, what's the balance? God has a purpose. For our lives, and we have plans for our lives. Which one takes priority? Now, the challenge of what we're doing together this year in the sermon series and in our Bible teaching, the challenge of what we're doing as a community together this year is as we look at salvation history, as we look at the sweep of what God is doing through scripture, what we keep coming back to Really, all that seems to be happening in the Bible thus far is God's purposes, God's plans. And our lives are not a big part of that. So one of the challenges for us is if what we're concerned about is our lives and what's going on in our lives, how do we stay interested in Scripture if God's preoccupied not with our lives, but God's preoccupied with, with what He's doing? And the first thing we learn through this whole sermon series is that it's really not about our lives. The whole Bible is not about our lives. It's about God's purpose. And and as we've been looking so far, we've looked through from Genesis through Judges, and it's all been about God's purposes. We saw in Eden, and now if this is, any of you that are new to this, um, let it flow by. I'll be done with it in a couple of minutes. For those of you who are regular, it's more of a review. Uh, we see in the whole Bible, it's really about God's purposes. In Eden, we saw an idyllic setup. God created a world and it was beautiful. And then the fall came in. And that world was corrupted. And every dimension of it was corrupted. And then God determined to restore this world of his. And within that restoration, he made Three promises. Because these are the restoring creation. Creation was really about man multiplying, producing throughout the whole earth. And so he made a promise to Abraham of descendants. And God originally in creation gave man a place called Eden. And his purpose, his second promise, his second purpose is to restore that promise of Eden or place, a land. And so that takes us through Exodus and Numbers and Joshua. And then his third promise is to spread this blessing to all people around the world. And we'll see that again in the New Testament. So far, very little about our lives, about the daily events, very little about the things I pray about, very little about my job, about my school, very little about my, my, my relationship with my wife, uh, very little about my kids, very little about their future, their studies, who they marry. It's all about God's plan. And then the other piece that we've looked at so far is the conditions. Only two conditions God's laid down in Scripture. That we worship Him and that we live for Him. And we see all that throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Judges. So, so far, for the last September, October, November, December, January, for the last five months, really pretty much all we've heard about is God's purposes and God's plans. It's not about us. It's about God. But if you caught the flow of the narrative in today's scripture reading, it's a total change of pace. What we have in today's scripture reading is the life of one woman, Naomi. And it's not really about her life. It's not really about her husband. I mean, he dies really quickly. But it's about her life. And it's about the kind of thing that we go through and that we care about. They're living in a town called House of Bread, Place of Bread, and they're having famine. It's about economics. But whether we have enough money to live. And they couldn't afford to live. So they moved. They were landless migrants. It's about economic security. They got to a new land. And her husband dies. It's about romance, but it's about economic security. How is she going to live? How is she going to raise her kids? And then it's about both her adult sons die. And then it's about how is she going to live with all this grief and with no money and no one to provide for her. It's about the kind of thing that we live in daily life. And so she says this in chapter 1, verse 20. She describes her life in a way that resonates with us at many times. She goes back, eventually, everybody's died. She goes back to her hometown, Bethlehem. And the people haven't seen her for years. They say, oh, can this be Naomi? You know how it is when you haven't seen anyone for years? They look so much older. Well, you got older. And what they're thinking about you is, whoa, you got older. Can this be, can this really be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she says. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. You know, it's really not about our lives. And Genesis... Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the last six months have told us it's not about our lives. It's about God's purposes. But suddenly this little quirky book, four chapters, doesn't seem theological at all. It's really a story for Valentine's Day, but last week we got snowed out. A love story about a woman who is widowed and her mother in law who finds a new husband. And with a new husband, she finds economic stability, not just love, she finds love, remarkable love, but she finds economic stability and her whole life changes. So it's really not about us. And for six books, the, the whole collection of the Old Testament has been telling us it's not about us. It's about God. But then suddenly we got this quirky little book thrown in, and you could think, this is more of a novelette, you know, and a little, this is, this is not theology, this is a story. A sweet little story, short story. At least if nothing else. Ruth tells us this, it's still not about us, but our lives do matter. God still cares about us. He wants us to care about something bigger. But our lives are not not too small for him to care about us. And at the end of the story, we read this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And they conceived a child. She gave birth to a son. And then the women said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth. The story begins in the first chapter with Naomi saying, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And the story ends with all of Naomi's friends refusing to call her bitter because her life is no longer bitter. She now has a son-in-law. She has a loyal daughter worth more than seven sons. And she has a grandchild. Her life is restored, is complete. It's still not about us. But God does care about us and the things we care about. But it doesn't stop there. Because even though God cares about us, even then, it's about how our lives serve His purposes. Take a look at chapter 4 verses 17 to 22. Take a look at how this story ends. This story has a, a, a curious little ending to it. Because it's about Naomi's suffering, bereavement, the loss of her husband, the loss of her son's famine. And the story ends and her life is all put back together. And you think the story is about Naomi and her suffering. And God allowing that. And then God restoring her. Showing that he's good and he's good to her. You think that's what the story about. But all of a sudden there's a little epilogue that changes everything. See the epilogue. Verse 17. Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, the character in this story. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. You see, what the author is telling us is, this is not just a story about a woman who lost her husband and her sons and found a daughter-in-law and a new grandson. This is the story of God. This is not simply the story of Naomi. This is a story of God and God's purposes. Because this little baby that her daughter-in-law had, Became the ancestor to King David, the most famous king in the Old Testament. God is working out his purposes. God cares about her life, but there's something bigger. It's still not about her life. It's about something bigger. Because she faces famine, she goes off and leaves Bethlehem. Her son's Mary, marry a foreigner, a Moabite. The famine's over. She brings this Moabite back to Bethlehem. This widowed Moabite marries an Israelite. Together they conceive the ancestor to David, who was going to free uh, Israel and bring it to pre- preeminence. This crisis, this series of crises, and this Moabite, this foreign woman, all become part of God's purposes to rescue and elevate and redeem his people. God cares about our lives, but it's still not about us. It's about God's purpose for our lives and how our lives further his purposes. Then the story takes it a step further.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Hello, new toy. There's another lesson we can learn from this. is thinking about who Ruth is for the moment. See, this is not just that King David matters. We know King David matters. He's a king. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled... Remember a sermon two weeks ago when we looked at the days when the judges ruled? At the chaos? We looked at the political chaos and the corruption. We looked at the religious chaos and the corruption. We looked at the moral chaos and the violence and the rapes. And all the leadership, the book of Judges is making the point that the leadership of Israel is corrupt. Its priests are corrupt. Its religious establishment is corrupt. Its kings are corrupt. Its politics is corrupt. And yet here's this woman, Naomi, just a random peasant woman. And here's this other woman, Ruth, not even an Israelite, a random peasant, non-Israelite woman. And suddenly, God does these extraordinary things and her private misery is redeemed. And even though she's not at all significant as a human being from her socio-political standing, yet she becomes the forerunner, ancestor, to the most important king of Israel. So, so at least, at the very least, the point, of, the point of Ruth is, maybe it's still not about Ruth or Naomi. It's still not about us, but it includes Ruth and Naomi, and it includes us. And the point is, it's not just about the kings and the priests and the rulers. It's about the little people, people like Naomi, people like Ruth. Not just King David, but Ruth, without whom there would be no King David. So the story is not about us, but God cares about us, and the story includes us. And there's one more piece of this story from the very end. Ruth, this was her life, Naomi's life, Ruth's life. Do you realize that by the end of this story, well, Neither of them ever saw the end of this story. Neither of them ever knew what their lives were about. This is not about Naomi's suffering, becoming bitter, and thinking God was vindictive toward her, and that God didn't into her life and, and redeeming her. This is not about her life. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story was, she became the ancestor to King David, but she didn't know that. God was working, I mean, she never saw the outcome. But the point of the story, to this author, to the author of Ruth, as he wrote that story, the point of the story is, God was, even though her life looked disastrous at one point, God was at work in her life, and then even though she never found out the outcome, it was just disastrous at the beginning, it was blessed in the end, but she doesn't know what the outcome is. And yet this is hugely significant life in God's purposes, because she would become the mother of a child, or the ancestor to a child she never saw, King David. And he would redeem and elevate Israel. Lives matter. Little lives matter. Our lives matter. But that's all the author of Ruth knew. We know more than he knew. Because we can read Matthew chapter 1. And we know the real point of this story about Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and Ruth never found out the point of their lives. The author of this story in the Old Testament never found out the point of their lives. But we know Because in Matthew chapter 1, we read this same terminal genealogy. We read that Perez was the father of Hezron. That Hezron was the father of Ram. That Ram was the father of Minadab. That Minadab was the father of Nashon. That Nashon was the father of Salmon. That Salmon was the father of Boaz. That Boaz was the father of Obed. That Obed was the father of Jesse. And that Jesse was the father of David. But we read more than that. Because we read that two more segments of genealogy later, Jesus enters the picture. Ruth would never see the outcome of her life. The author of the Old Testament book of Ruth would never know the outcome of her life. And it's as if he's having a joke on her saying, okay, this is what she thinks is about but here's what it's really about. And now we get to have a joke on him because we really know what it's really about. So what does the story of Ruth tell us? It tells us that it's not really our prayers, our Bible study, our sermons. They're not really about us. They're about the purposes of God. But the story of Ruth also tells us that even when our lives look the bleakest, even when they look the harshest, God is at work for his purposes. And even when our lives improve and everything gets rosy and everybody thinks we're blessed, we may still not see the end result of God's purposes in our lives. But God has purposes and will achieve those purposes whatever comes, whatever happens. He has purposes not just for the big people and the important people. He has purposes for all of us. Our lives will achieve his purposes. There's a condition, of course, Boaz was a good man who followed the law. Ruth was a good woman who was devoted to her mother-in-law and devoted to good character. We must serve God, of course. But on the assumption that we're doing what we can to serve God, this is the promise of Ruth. Not just that God cares about our lives. Not just that it's not about us. It's about something much bigger than us. But here's the promise. Acknowledging that it's not fundamentally about us. Here's what can grip us. You see, the fact that it's not fundamentally about us is not a drawback. We don't want it to be fundamentally about us. We want to know that God is doing something through us that's bigger than me and my kids and my wife and my own job. I mean, that's really pedestrian stuff to, to, to fuss over. And when At the end of your life, you're not going to care that your life was fulfilling, just your job was fulfilling, while well, you had a couple of kids and you had a good wife. That's good, but it's not enough. You'll care about it. It's good. But it's not enough. What we want to know is that our lives made a difference? And the promise of Ruth is that even if our lives are hard, and even if we never see the difference our lives make, that lives by the grace and power and sovereignty of God, that lives do make a difference, not just kings and priests. But people like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And people like you. People like me. In the sovereignty of God. It's not about us. But it works through us. Let's pray together. Father, you don't need, in in, in many respects, you don't need us. You're the sovereign God, creator of the universe. You could do so much better directly than you can through us. And yet you offer us this hope, that even when we suffer, even when we don't see the outcome, you offer us this hope, that you are in work in our lives, not just to make our lives better, but to make our world better, and to bring about your purposes for the renewal of our entire world. Father, we pray that this would be what drives us, even if we never see it. And we thank you for the privilege to be co-workers with you. In Jesus' name, Amen.